This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Middle of chapter uh, letter number thirteen, which is based on the verse in Psalm thirty-one, that how abundant is your goodness, which you have hidden away for those who fear you, and which you have wrought for those who trust in you. So he says, your goodness is hidden; that the reward is hidden for those who fear you, and and which you have wrought for those who trust you before man, and the reward is, that reward is revealed in the sight of man. So he says, because he's going to explain that there's two forms of reward, and the two forms of the cause of the reward. There's true spiritual service that leads to the reward. So there's a concealed type of goodness, which leads to reward which is concealed and hidden. And then there's a revealed goodness which is, leads to reward which is revealed. So he explained that we learned last week that there's two souls. There are souls who are rooted in Hashem's right arm, so to speak, in kindness. And there are souls who are rooted in Hashem's left arm, so to speak. And the difference between the two you have liberal, you have conservative, those who are rooted in the left arm. So their service of Hashem is hidden, it's concealed, it's inward, it's not for public consumption. It's very internal, it's very private, very intimate. And, um, and it's very correct. Everything has to be, it's very exact. Everything has to fit. Everything has to... If it doesn't fit, it bothers them. Seeing a painting is crooked, it bothers you. Something is off. You know, it has to be correct. It has to be right. Not more, not less. It is the way of serving of Hashem is also correctly. You have to learn Torah. As the Torah spells out, there's a, a limit. Not, not because they're lazy, so they're looking to, for a way out and just to do the bare minimum. No, but in principle, they do what's right. I'm not, it's not about me, it's not about ego, it's not about, it's, it's correct or is it not correct? Does it fit or it doesn't fit? It has to be consistent, it has to be inwardly. Inwardly it has to connect. The Torah says, this is the tzedakah you have to give, this is the tzedakah you have to give, not more, not less. It's not, it's not about me, it's about what's the right thing to do. If this is what Hashem wants me to do, this is the correct thing to do. If it's about ego, it's about me, it makes me feel good, not about me. So everything has to be, and if it's not correct, if it's not limited, the limit, the definitions, is it's not a limitation. Torah mitzvah is not a limitation. God limited. 
But God expressed himself in this and this way. So this is what it is. This is the correct way to do it. This is inherently, innately, this is, this fits, this resonates, this, this is real, this is genuine. This is where Hashem's will is. To do the mitzvah. Exactly as defined. Not more, not less. So this is the mitzvah. So what I'm, I don't have to add to it. I don't have to embellish it. And I don't have to make it less. I don't have to embellish it. It's good. The mitzvah is good. I don't need... So this is an inward person. A person who is very correct and very honest, genuine, and very exact. Because of that, he's very exact. Not because he's being uh, nitpicking. Because it's just... It doesn't, it's not correct otherwise. It's not genuine. It doesn't smell right. So this is a nature, the nature of a person whose soul is rooted in Hashem's left arm is a, is a soul whose service of Hashem is very intimate, private, quiet, and very inward, and very genuine, and very authentic, and very correct. That's also his effect on the students. His effect on the students also, this type of person, his effect on the students is also, he's here to wake up his students. He's here to disturb his students. He's not here to make them feel comfortable. What good does it do them to make them feel comfortable? What have, I, what have they learned? What have I taught them? He's here to wake them up, to stir them up. They're so far from their potential. They're so, there's such a huge gap between their actual and their potential. He's here to stir things up, to make them uncomfortable. This is all the nature of Gevura. Versus the person whose soul is rooted in Hashem's right hand is the exact opposite. Whatever he does is public, open, with Ashturim, as they say in Yiddish, with a, everything is, everything is, it's a whirlwind, everything is noisy and public and with an abandon and you do it, you do it in a big way, on a big scale. There's no, no such thing as doing something, it's not quiet, private, hidden, it's with a bang, American way. Big, brash, loud, public, expansive. And there's a lot of power there. There's a lot of energy, a lot of strength. So there's no limit. limit. I'm, I'm going to look at my watch, I'm only going to give tzedakah 20%, and I'm only 10%, 20%. It's, you do something, you do it all the way. And you do it... And there's a certain energy. You get swept up in that energy. And it's public. And, 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 and he creates an, an environment. And people are attracted to it. People like that. The louder something is, you know, people, people get involved. People are swept up. There's enthusiasm. So it's not that he, again, he's not like he's boasting. But he thrives off the energy of people, of public. I do something, you're going to hear about it. <laughs> not because he's bragging. But because whatever he does is big, loud, because that's his way of expressing expressing his soul, which is rooted in Hashem's right arm, which is giving. And, and So you have two opposite personalities. There is a version where the Alter Rebbe brings the saying of the Chazal, cast awe upon the pupils, that this is an expression of the right arm. How is this an expression of the right arm? How could it possibly be an expression of the right arm? 
According to one version, it's after he says, on the, the bottom of page 223, and I will walk about expansively. So maybe it's the fact that a person like this likes to have students, has an impact on the students. A uh, person who's very closed and inward and hidden and concealed and introverted and independent and a loner and solitude, lives in solitude and is a man of few words, this is not a person who has such an interest in influencing and impacting his students. But a person who's very expansive is someone who his influence is very wide. It's not just himself, but he influences his students. He, he has a lot of students, and he likes to influence his students, and engage his students. A person who's very inward, if his students are up to it, is fine. If not, he's not, he's not, uh, not going to babysit them. Like the sun is shining. The sun is shining. It's here. If you're around, you're going to benefit. If not, if you're not ready, if it is, uh, has nothing to do with with you. It's just the sun is shining. Um, but here, he takes an, engages his students. He takes an interest in the students, engages his students, makes sure that they're listening. So he has a wide influence. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. But the commentary writes in the Tanya maybe it's misplaced and that's why here he would put it earlier which would fit more, fit more with the theme of Gevura and this for this soul the people are rooted in, in or wide expansive loud public there's no limit they're not looking at their watch like if they're helping people, they're going to sit and talk and lose time, track of time. and You know, there's no limit. A person who's a very inward person, a minute is a minute, a time is a time, and, you know, it's very important not to speak to you, but I have to stop, it's time to daven. I'm sorry, with all due respect, I'm not going to... And there's other things that have to be done. You know, everything is correct. Everything is with a limit. But not that it's a limit because the in a superficial way. It's a limit because this is what's demanded. This is what, inwardly, this is what's demanded. This is what's true. This is what's real. Everything in his life has to be a reflection of what's happening on the inside. It's real. This is real. This, you don't have to embellish it, you don't have to minimize it. It is what it is. So everything has a limit. Everything is precise. Everything is very etched, very defined, very clear, crystal clear. A person who's expansive, the exact opposite. There's no limit. He's giving, he gives without any limitation, and, and he gives of his time without limitation, and his learning is without limitation, and his mitzvahs. He does something, he does it. And there's a tremendous power there, because when you are public and you're brash and you're loud, there's a reason why America became the wealthiest country in the world or in, in history, because when everything is loud and brash and public, it expands. It does become expansive. It becomes much larger, much bigger than when it's private and quiet and intimate, even though in a certain sense that's much deeper, much more genuine, much richer. It sparkles. It's, it's crystal clear. 
versus when everything is hoo-ha and loud and brash, it's also pretty superficial. <laughs> so everyone has an advantage. It's not that the right hand and the left hand, one is right and one is wrong, the liberal, the conservative. It's two different human beings, two different souls, two different expressions. Because they both express Hashem. Hashem, Hashem's infinite light is on one hand, Hashem's infinite light is on one hand is revealed to the utmost extent. Hashem animates and creates and animates down to the smallest creature from the greatest, the highest level to the lowest level. On the other hand, Hashem's ability to hide is also to the, to the nth degree. Hashem could totally conceal himself, totally hide. So these two aspects of chesed and gevurah, of, of love and strictness and, and expression, expansion, revelation and the hiding, concealment, is really two sides of the same coin. Hashem himself who is infinite could hide to an infinite degree and he can also reveal to an infinite degree. So the chesed is an expression of Hashem's revealing to an infinite degree. But the gevura, the hiding, the concealing is an expression of Hashem's infinite capacity to hide, to totally hide and totally conceal himself. And in a certain sense, the ability to hide is much deeper than the ability to reveal which is more personal, which is more intimate, which tells you more about a person, which is more revealing, ironically and paradoxically. It's a person's ability to hide. Where's character? Where do you see a person's character? Not what he does, what he won't do. His ability to restrain, his ability to limit, his ability to stop. A person who just does, it's very skin deep, it's superficial. It's like a human chain they made from New York to L.A., (laughs) <laughs> 3,000 miles wide and, and, and skin deep. Versus depth and character come from red lines, the things you won't cross, the things you won't do. That defines you. That etches you. That, that becomes your character. That's your personality. That's who you really are. So the ability to hide, the ability to restrain, the ability to conceal is much more inward, is much deeper than the ability to reveal. It's much more intimate, much more genuine, much richer, much more satisfying. But in Hashem, these two abilities come from they're really two sides of the same coin. Because Hashem is infinite, so simultaneously Hashem could totally conceal himself. While simultaneously Hashem is constantly creating the world, animating the world, and this is all spectacular. It's miraculous. It's wondrous. It's, 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 it's stupefying. It's mind-boggling. And yet you look at the world and it's as if nothing happened. What? Hashem? What? When? Where? Who? The ability to hide... And in plain sight, while he's totally revealing himself, and completely hide as if nothing happened. As if it's an everyday occurrence. Of course, oh, we exist, of course. What do you mean? Existence. It's the, it's the most astonishing, the most uh, unbelievable, incredible reality. Existence is the most astonishing thing. We should be jumping out of our skin. The whole thing makes absolutely no sense. It's absurd especially what we know today. The deeper you go into the atom, there's nothing there. You can't find anything. And yet, 
we have existence. From what? Something from nothing. It's the most astonishing thing. Inexplicable. Mind-boggling. And yet it's as if nothing happened. It's so, it's so, of course we exist. We take it for granted. God is completely hidden, completely concealed. So God's ability to completely hide, while He Himself is constantly creating, constantly revealing Himself, and yet He's totally hidden as if nothing happened. This was the Baal Shem Tev, the ability we discussed last week, the ability of the Baal Shem Tev to totally hide and pretend he's a simple helper for, to help children. Not, he didn't teach the olive base. He helped the teacher who taught the olive base. He helped them to walk them to Cheder and back to school and back. This is the Baal Shem Tev, <laughs> who had such light. This light bursts forth 300 years later, is illuminating. Every Chabad house is 5,000 Chabad houses, the Baal Shem Tev houses, illuminating and communicating the light of the Baal Shem Tev, the teachings of Hasidus, the wellspring. And Mashiach will only come when the wellsprings of the Baal Shem Tev will be revealed. And every Jew in the world will learn Hasidus and learn Tanya and go on lessons in Tanya.com. <laughs> and this Baal Shem Tev, this light was able to hide and pretend that he's a simple uh, helper to a teacher who's teaching olive base, kindergarten. First grade. And the shul, a helper, was helping out as if an ignoramus, if he knew nothing. I mean, how, how can you hide? The ability to hide is much more astonishing than the ability to reveal. But now we're going to learn that since these, both of these attributes, both of these souls, the liberal and conservative, those Shammai and Hillel. Shammai comes from the word exact. Everything has to be exact. Everything has to be correct. Everything has to be genuine. And that's why he threw down the would-be convert because he didn't feel it was, it was genuine and had to be authentic. Versus Hillel, who was kind and generous and compassionate and public. And so both of these souls are rooted. In the divine, one is rooted in the right hand, so to speak. And one is rooted in the left hand. One is rooted in Hashem's kindness, and Hashem's ability to reveal. And one is rooted in Hashem's gevur, Hashem's ability to contract and to conceal. But since they're both rooted in Hashem, Hashem is one. And both of these aspects are really two aspects of the infinite. Hashem, who's infinite, has the infinite capacity to reveal, while at the same time has the infinite capacity to conceal. That's why in holiness anything is connected with Hashem. Both of these souls have to be compounded. They have to also have parts of the opposite trait. A person, a soul who's rooted in their capacity to hide and to conceal also has to have the capacity to reveal. And vice versa. Because that's the sign of holiness. The sign of holiness. When something is beyond ego. When everything is ego, then people become very rigid in their nature. Conservatives are always conservative and very predictable. Liberals are always liberal and very predictable and very boring because you know exactly what position they're going to take, no matter what the issue is. And there's never any flexibility, and there's never any ability to compromise. And today, not only is not ability to compromise, not even the ability to sit in the same room and even talk to each other civilly. Because everything is very rigid, because everything is very egotistical, political. When there's a little less ego, when the, when the point really is to really serve and to something greater than, uh, than myself and then 
there's room for flexibility, there's room to compromise, there's room to adapt, adapt the other person's qualities, to see sometimes reality from another person. But especially when you're rooted in holiness, when you're rooted in serving service of Hashem, here we have two opposites can come together. As it says, that the love and awe are two opposite emotions, and you can't have them both together unless it's in the service of Hashem. In the service of Hashem, you can have two opposite emotions together. How is it possible? How can you have two opposite emotions together? Because again, it's in the service of Hashem. It's not about ego. In the service of Hashem, you can have two opposite emotions together. This was the theme of the whole letter we learned last letter, letter number 12, that only Hashem could make peace between the opposites, between the angels of kindness and the angels of, of, of strength, fire and water. So when you're rooted in Hashem, when you go to the root and to the source, the root of Hashem, it's the same Hashem, the same infinite light that has the ability to do both and do both simultaneously. So therefore the souls that are rooted in godliness also display both of these abilities. So even though one soul is primarily strength, but they also show signs of the opposite trait. And that's what he's saying. That's what we're going to learn now. And like we read in the... Uh, we read in the story of the Akedah that the test of Avram. What does Hashem tell Avram at the Akedah? Now I know that he also fear Hashem. That Hashem, Avram also had the quality of awe, the quality of fear, which is really Isaac's quality. Mm-hmm. Avram was all about love. His whole life was love and compassion and kindness and goodness. Heroism, sacrifice, awe, intensity, this was Yitzchak's quality. That's why it wasn't called the test of Yitzchak. For Yitzchak, this was up his alley. Sacrifice, heroism. He's ready. Hineni. But the Avram, who is the epitome of kindness, for him to do such an act of Gevur, such a strong act, such an intense act, such, which went contrary to his, to his basic nature, for him this was a test. And he passed the test with flying colors. And God says, now I know that you also fear God. You're not just a lover of God, but you also fear God. And you're ready to do something heroic and something tough and something difficult for Hashem. But although Avram also had the qualities of Isaac, the quality of fear, yet primarily, his primary quality was love. But just to prove that it wasn't just because of his nature. That it was truly, his love was motivated by godliness. The proof was that he had the flexibility and he was ready to even act in a way of gavur. So he had it in him. But his primary way of service of Hashem was love. And Isaac also. Isaac's primary service of Hashem was awe and strength and love, fear and but he also had within him, he was also complemented by the attribute of, of kindness. 
And that's what we find, he's going to say, that Shammai and Hillel is a classical example of love and strength. We find, and that's why Hillel was always lenient. Shammai was always strict. But not always. Most of the time. Primarily. But occasionally we find the exception. Every rule has an exception, including this rule. That there was occasionally Hillel would reverse course. Hillel was the one who was tough, and Shammai was the one who was lenient. Because to just to show that it wasn't about ego, it was really rooted in godliness. And because it was rooted in godliness, how do we know it wasn't about ego? As it says at the end of the first chapter in the Mishnah, and Yavamas, tracted Yavamas, that the Hillel and Shammai, although they fought, they were opposites. They were like fire and water. So much so that there were cases that if you followed Shammai's opinion, Hillel would say that the children are bastards. Certain, in the case of Yavamma, the Torah says at the Leveret marriage that if a uh, if a brother dies without children, childless, so his brother has to marry his widow. So to give his brother a chance to have children, to bring children into the world. There's a classical argument in Shammai and Hillel, and that is, what if your sister-in-law, your brother married someone that you cannot marry? It's prohibited for you to marry, for example. Biblically, you're allowed to. It's even ideal. An uncle can marry a niece. So let's say your brother married your daughter. <laughs> now, if the brother dies, you can't tell the brother, marry your brother's wife, your sister-in-law. Your sister-in-law happens to be my daughter. I can't marry my daughter. <laughs> so obviously, there's no, there's no even. But what if your brother had two wives? So, and she's, she's a stranger. She's not a relative. So Hillel, Hillel says that, that not only you cannot, you're not allowed to marry. Usually the Torah says you're never allowed to marry a sister-in-law, a brother's wife, even after your brother dies. The Torah makes an exception. If your brother dies childless, then it's a mitzvah, it's an obligation for you to marry her. And it overrides the usual prohibition of marrying a sister-in-law, of marrying your brother's wife. But that's only if he could marry her. If he can't marry her, so if it turns out to be I'm going to be marrying my own daughter, then obviously I can't. But what happens to the other wife? The olden days, polygamy was permitted. So what happens? Do I have the mitzvah? Am I obligated? Am I even allowed to marry my sister-in-law? The stranger, the second wife, who's no relation to me. So Hillel says that, that since they were both wives together, so just like one, daughter, one wife is exempt because you're not allowed to marry her because she's prohibited to you, so anyone else who's married is also prohibited. See, there's no mitzvah of yibum, and you're not allowed to marry because it's a sister-in-law in the Torah in this case. There's no mitzvah of yibum, there's no mitzvah of leveret marriage. Shammai argues. Shammai says no. You are allowed to. There's a mitzvah of Yibu. The daughter, your sister-in-law happens to be a daughter, of course. There's no, you're not allowed to marry her. So she's out of the picture. But the second wife, who's a stranger to you, 
who's no relation, no family member, of course, you're allowed to and you're obligated to marry. Now, according to Hillel, if you follow Chamei's opinion and if you married the second wife, according to Hillel, the child will be a bastard because there's a prohibition. The Torah says you're not allowed to marry a sister. Unless there's a mitzvah, unless there's a mitzvah of Yibum, then the prohibition remains. Prohibition remains even after your brother dies. You're not allowed to marry his wife. And if you marry his wife, your life gets cut off. It's one of the serious, serious prohibitions. Sexual immoralities and prohibitions. And if you marry such a woman, the child, the offspring, is a bastard. Halachically is a bastard. So Shami says it's a mitzvah, and Hillel says <laughs> it's absolutely prohibited. You're cutting your life off, and your child is going to be a bastard. So does it get more extreme than that? These two opinions? You're talking about... You're talking about this one says you're doing a mitzvah and your child is a wonderful child and the Hillel says, God forbid, if you marry that woman, the child's going to be a bastard. You violated one of the severest prohibitions in the Torah and the child is a bastard. So you can imagine the fire and water. They're arguing about this. They're not playing games here. This is, you're talking about one extreme and the other extreme and each one vehemently believed in his opinion. And they follow their opinion. Nevertheless, it says Hillel and Shammai got along with each other. And they spoke to each other. And they respected each other and they even married each other. Because Shammai, if there was such a case, Shammai would let them know, listen, I don't think you want to marry this because according to your opinion, this kid is a bastard. We hold his kosher a thousand percent. But, but there was respect and there was love. Because it wasn't about ego. It wasn't Hill and Shammai were just sharpening their minds and fighting over positions and, you know, and they were ready to kill each other. God forbid. It was about truth. They fought over the truth. And they were both right. It's not like one was right and one was wrong. The ways the Torah could be interpreted from a, one perspective and the Torah could be interpreted from a different perspective. And they're both correct interpretations. But they fought for their, for their correct interpretation. And they believed that they had the correct interpretation. But they also fought for their peace. Because it wasn't about ego. It was about Hashem. What does the Torah say? What does Hashem say? So when you're rooted in Hashem, you can have peace. And because they were rooted in godliness, and they were rooted in Hashem, therefore we find that they reversed roles and they reversed positions. Sometimes Hillel would take the position of Shammai and say, Shammai's approach is correct in this case. You have to be strict. And Shammai would reverse roles and take the position of Hillel and be lenient. So we have Hillel's approach to life in this case is correct. We have to be lenient. Which proves that they were flexible, that they were rooted in godliness. If it's all about ego, a person is always consistent. A person who's radical is always radical. A person who's conservative, ultra-conservative, is always ultra-conservative. It's so predictable, it's almost you can cry. A person who's, who's liberal is always liberal, consistent. Yes, it's appropriate, it's not appropriate. He's consistently liberal. You're going off the cliff because he's so, he's so 
so narrow-minded in a sense, he doesn't have any flexibility. And if sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's not appropriate. You know, different situations call for different, for different... You know, Churchill was a war prime minister. They threw Chamberlain out and they brought someone tough. The moment the war was out, they threw him out. Because <laughs> he wasn't... He, for peacetime, he, right, he wasn't the right one. Yeah, times change, things change. You can't always be a one-person response. If you're always a one-person response, you have no flexibility then sometimes you shine or sometimes it's the wrong time, the wrong place, the wrong person, the wrong time, the wrong place. So, but a person, if it's all about ego, a person has no flexibility. But if it's rooted in godliness, there's flexibility. And you can reverse roles. And you're not so predictable. Because it's about truth. It's about Hashem. What does Hashem say? What does Hashem think? What does... What does what's, and therefore, you have that flexibility. Now, every Jew needs to comprise both these traits. A Jew whose soul derives from Chesed must also incorporate the thrust of Gevura and vice versa, for there is no thing that has not its place. Both Chesed and Gevura are essential to one service. At times, he must use one attribute at times right. the other. So every, everything has its time and everything has its place. In other words, there are times, there are places, there are situations that call for a different response. You can't be... And that's what's really unique about the Torah. The Torah, as we discussed in the last letter, the Torah is godly. That's why the same Torah that teaches us kindness teaches us to be militant. There comes a time when you've got to be militant. There's a time and a place for everything. There's no room for pacifism. I'm a loving, kind, decent, gentle, sensitive soul. Yes. And there's a time and a place for that. But then there comes a time and a place where your genteelness and your kindness and your sensitivity is is killing us. There's no room for that. You have to be tough and you have to be strong and you have to be firm and you have to be... So there's a time and place for everything. So in the soul, a Jewish soul, which is rooted in godliness, created the image of Hashem, there has to be a place in your soul. There has to be an openness for a different response against your nature. Yes, it goes contrary to your nature. You have to have that flexibility. Otherwise you're, just, otherwise, you're not serving Hashem. You're just serving your nature. You're just following your nature. If it's really about Hashem, then the test is if you can go against your nature. If you can do something that goes contrary to your nature. Surprise yourself. Something unpredictable. Something different. Because this is the time that demands it. So you put your ego aside, you put your nature aside, and you come up with the correct response for what's needed, for what Hashem wants, and what's needed at this moment. So when Avram needed to, he became tough. And he was ready to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. The kind, gentle Avram, when the time was called for, when the place was called for, when it was needed, he was ready to do that. And it was consistent with who he was. Because who he was was, he was a reflection of Hashem. And if when you're a reflection of Hashem, it's not a reflection of me, then I can step out of myself. I can go beyond my boundaries. 
I can rise to the occasion and do something different, a little unpredictable. Thus we find various matters that exemplify the leniencies of Bet Shammai and the stringencies of Beit Hillel. This comes to teach us that even Bet Shammai, whose soul was rooted in the supernal left, which is why they always decided stringently as regards all the prohibitions of the Torah, so stringencies stem from Gavura, inasmuch as they prevent an object from being used and thereby elevated. Whereas Bet Hillel, derived from the supernal right, would find arguments for leniency in order to render permissible the things prohibited by Beth Shammah, so that these should become released from their pro- prohibitive bonds and be able to ascend. When the Torah says something is kosher permitted, it's actually a very loving thing, because what the Torah is telling us is that we have the ability to elevate the spark. We have the ability to draw this physical object into the sphere of influence of holiness. We can bring it into the holy domain. We can take something mundane, physical and material and turn it into a mitzvah, make it kosher. It could be elevated. We're drawing it close. It's an act of love. Versus when you say something is prohibited, you're throwing it out. You're distancing it. You're saying you're prohibited. You cannot be elevated. You can't be drawn close to holiness. We've got to discard you. You're poison. You're no good. Out of here. You slam the door in the face. So it's an act of toughness. It's an act of strictness. It's an act of making limits, boundaries. Hillel, who's always looking to find a way to make it kosher, to make it permissible, because he wants to, lovingly, he wants to draw it close and elevate it to godliness. Shammai, who's precise, says no. This, This doesn't fit. This is not a good fit. It's not worthy. It's not ready. Can't be elevated. We've got to slam the door. We've got to make a boundary. We gotta make, it has to be a limit. The word asur means bound, i.e. to the sitra akra, and hence prohibited. Its opposite, musar, means released and hence permitted. Declaring an object permissible thus unfetters it from the bonds of the sitra akra, thereby allowing it to ascend, as explained in Tanya Part 1, Chapter 7. Nevertheless, in numerous matters, even Bet-Shamai were lenient. So, so it's interesting, because according to the way he's describing here in this letter, right and left, it's not the way we describe right and left. It's the exact opposite. <laughs> the left is really the conservative position, Shamai's position, which is very deep and very genuine and very authentic and very, in a way, it's much more honest, personal, individual Versus the right is more loving, expansive, even though it's more superficial, but it's much more it's to draw everyone close, make everyone feel comfortable. Versus Shammai's position, the exact opposite. It's to disturb you, it's to wake you up, it's to limit you, it's to... But it's interesting how, how it got changed around. The way he's explaining here is to be kind, to be liberal, to be open, to be generous. Versus the left is to restrain, to be exact and precise. And so the conservatives should really be the left and the liberals should be the right. But here, it's just the opposite. The conventional use of the term right is conservative. And um, the left 
has become liberal. Interesting, interesting, uh, something to ponder on, to think yes, about. It <laughs> it's interesting because the right, the stronger hand is the right. Allah is like Hillel. Because that is the predominant approach. The predominant approach and the prevailing approach is the right approach. Hillel's approach. Until Mashiach comes, that's the prevailing approach. As Mashiach will come, Shammai's approach will prevail. Because Mashiach will come, will be on a much higher level. When you're on a much higher level, you don't need to be cuddled, you don't need superficial, you want deep, and genuine, and intense. That's Yitzchak, that's Gevurah, that's, that's Shammai's approach. But in the exile, in today's day and age, we're much, so we need a much more liberal, kind, gentle approach. So that's why it's the right hand. The right hand is more, is predominant. That's why the Kohen, the Kohen is the right hand, is love, Levi is Gevura. It says, Mashiach will come, as we learn in the first part of the Tanya, the souls of the Levium will switch to the souls of the Kohenim. Because then, the souls of Gevura will, will be predominant. But it's interesting that they call the conservatives right, which hints that they're right. <laughs> versus, versus the weak hand is the left hand, and they call themselves lefties. It's like the Mesnagdim. It was ironic by divine providence. They called the Hasidim the Hasidim, and they called themselves the Mesnagdim. Mesnagdim means opponents. The truth is they were the establishment and the Hasidim were the newcomers. They should have called the Hasidim the opponents. But they, they named it correctly. Hasidim, that's establishment, that's real. We are the fringe, the opponents, the, the troublemakers. Hasidim, that's correct. So by divine providence, they switched it around. So maybe by divine providence, they turned it around. But are we not a little bit of both of each of those we at should. different times in life and are we different right. we should. at different ages in, in our life? A little bit more on the right when we're older, but a little bit more flexible when we're younger. And as we get older, we know when to be either a little to the right or a little to the left. They say a young person who's not liberal has no heart, and and an older person who's not conservative is a fool. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there's a lot of wisdom, there's a lot of wisdom in tradition. You know, the right is, conservative officially is, respects tradition. There's a lot of wisdom in the way things have been done for thousands of years. You know, you can't just dismiss it. Um, you know, the progressive son who rebelled against his father and he wanted to do things against, goes against the grains. He said at his wedding, he, he'll only agree to have a huge wedding. His father wanted a huge wedding to celebrate his wedding on one condition. At my wedding, I want all the poor people to sit at the head table and they want all the rich people to sit in the back. <laughs> He was progressive. I'm going to turn the 1% should sit in the back and the 99% I want them to sit all the way up front. His father was a very wise man. He said, listen, son, don't just dismiss. There's a reason for thousands of years that the world runs in a way that the rich people sit in the front and the poor people sit in the back. Let me explain it to you. He says, why do rich people come to a wedding and why do poor people come to a wedding? Poor people come to a wedding because they haven't had a decent meal in ages. <laughs> they want to eat. They want to enjoy themselves. He says, you're going to put them at the head table. <laughs> Everyone is watching them. They're self-conscious. They're not even used to eating with the forks and knives. They're going to walk away starving. You didn't do them any favors. You feel good. 
I'm honoring the poor people. But you, you made them miserable. Just let them sit in the back. No one is watching. They can dive into the food, <laughs> dig into the food, eat with, with both hands and both feet and enjoy themselves. Why did the rich people come to a wedding? They need to eat. They have plenty to eat at home. They have chefs at home. They come for the honor, for the prestige. You sat them in the back. They're insulted, humiliated. So everyone is miserable. <laughs> you think you helped the world. You tried to re-engineer the world. But in your foolishness, you destroy the world. Because the poor people are miserable. The, the rich people are miserable. You know, there's a lot of wisdom. You can't re-engineer nature. You can't, you know. So a person who's a fool and thinks he's going to re-engineer, that, that's what the communists try to do. They're going to re-engineer nature. For thousands of years, the wealthy person, there's, there's a reason why he's wealthy and he's influential and he's driven, he's motivated, he's, he's successful. There's a reason why he's running the, you know, he's on top of the world and he's running things. Oh, I'm going to re-engineer the world. The poor people are not going to run the world and the rich people are going to be arrested and hung. Okay, what did you accomplish? You ended up with communism in North Korea, with Stalin, you know, with, with the, when, when China, before, before it, it turned things around. Impoverishment, poverty the world has never seen. Ukraine was the world's breadbasket. People were starving to death. Because it doesn't work. You can't re-engineer the world. Or you're a fool. You think I'm going to rally against the 1%? Oh, that, that's really going to... That's really going mean, to... It's re-engineering nature. It's pretending... So that's, that's, that's Don Quixote. You know, I'm, I'm waving, I'm, I'm tilting against windmills. That's the fool. But the, there's a lot of wisdom. If something has worked for thousands of years, there's wisdom there. You know, the, 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 you know the things work for a reason. Right. You can't go against the ocean's current and, and, and think you can accomplish anything. That's just a fool. On the other hand, the person can't be stagnant. The person has to constantly try to improve and come up with ideas and try to progress and improve. So you have, to, you have to take the good qualities of each. But a person who's rigid, a person who's just a radical, first they re- try to, first these communists and try to re-engineer commerce. Now they're trying to re-engineer the family. You don't need a husband and a wife. You don't need a man and a woman. Thousands of years, God created the world, man and woman. No, we know better. We're going to re-engineer. <laughs> We're going to re-engineer the family. We're going to re-engineer. A man and a woman get married. No, we're going to re-engineer it. Now two men are going to get married. Two women are going to get married. They're going to have the same success as, 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 as communism. But only with all the disasters and the people that are going to hurt in the process. But this is, this is the progressiveness. This run amok. This is your arrogance, ego, and, and tilting against windmills and going against the ocean and going against Hashem and going against reality and going against nature. It's, it's just, it's a fool's, this is Bernie, uh, Bernie Madoff times 10. But this time you're not only losing your, your wealth and all your, your uh, life savings, but you, you're going to lose your life and your soul in the process and lose your morality, and lose your soul, and lose your conscience, and lose everything you have. But this is, this is liberalism run amok. This is progressiveness run amok. So of course, when you don't have a combination, the Torah gives us the perfect combination. Conservative and liberal. We Jews are ultra-conservative, conservative and ultra-conservative. 
We haven't changed one iota. Our core and essence hasn't changed one iota. We have ten fingers today. We had ten fingers a thousand years ago. We have the same 613 mitzvot we had for the last 3,326 years. It hasn't changed. One iota. The same Torah, down to the last letter that Moses had, down to the last letter till today, anywhere in the world, the exact same Torah, down to, hasn't changed one letter. On the other hand, in how many years was that? 3,327 years to be precise, since the giving of the Torah. It hasn't changed. On the other hand, we're constantly, we're dynamic, we're vibrant. A person has to be dynamic and vibrant. We're constantly evolving and adapting and, and learning and growing and adding and at the same time. We're liberal and ultra-liberal and ultra-conservative at the same time because we have that flexibility because it's not about ego. It's not about, it's not about me. It's, a, it's, a, it's based on Hashem. It's based on the Torah. It's based on truth. When it's not based on truth, you end up with this radical progressiveness that ruins and destroys everything in its wake. These same wise men who brought us communism are now trying to re-engineer the family and destroy America. It's the same, the same, the same radical. But this is radicalism run amok. This is, this is progressiveness run amok. It's ego, it's arrogance, it's, it's foolish, it's ridiculous, absurd, dangerous, reckless. Because look in history. Anyone who, tried to, anyone who experimented and tried this experiment, tried to re- re-engineer the family, ended up completely self-destructing. When you lose your moral fiber, you lose your moral core and essence, your center, when the family loses its sanctity and you're trying to re-engineer the world and re-engineer marriage and re-engineer nature, it's a dead end. You've destroyed yourself. You've destroyed the country. You've destroyed your morality. You've destroyed your soul. You've destroyed everyone in the process. Destroyed your prosperity and your influence. And unfortunately, we see the results already. We've completely lost our influence. Become the laughing stock of the world. Because we've lost our center. But when it's rooted in Hashem, when it's rooted in God, and it's rooted in truth, it's rooted in emes. On one hand, God never changes. On the other hand, God is every moment. It's, it's a new moment. It's a brand new moment. It's dynamic. It's vibrant. Truth is ever, never changing and constantly changing at the same time. Liberal and conservative at the same time. We're ultra-liberal, ultra-kind, but ultra-conservative. We demand the highest standards. We don't dumb down. We don't compromise. We believe in people. We believe in ourselves. And we believe in the highest standards. Not in the dumbest standards and lowering the standards and aborting standards. This is when it's rooted in truth. This is the Jewish soul. It's rooted in truth. has a combination and has both of these qualities, right and left. And that's what we find, that Hillel had the flexibility and many times he would Sometimes he would follow Shammai's approach, and Shammai had the flexibility, and sometimes he would follow. So to show that his right and his left and his conservative and liberalism wasn't just rooted in ego and nature. It was rooted in Hashem. When it's rooted in Hashem, I'm not limited to my nature. I can step out of my nature. I can step out of my bounds. I can step back. I can approach it from a whole different approach and see it from a whole different perspective. That's a sign of truth. And the proof was, look at the civility between Shammai and Hill. 
as 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 they fought, and they were very. It was a tough fight. But at the end of the day, they loved each other and married each other and cared for each other because it wasn't about ego. It was about truth. So when your life is rooted in truth, not what makes me feel good and what makes me and what makes me, forget about the me and forget about the I and forget about the ego. When your life is centered, what is the truth? What does Hashem want? What does the Torah say? With all due respect, when they come to a rabbi, I don't care what the rabbi says. I couldn't care less what the rabbi says. With all due respect, honestly, if Moses himself came to tell us his personal opinion, it would be very interesting, but who cares? Very interesting. Very interesting, (laughs) but who cares? We want to hear from Moses. We want to hear what Hashem says. What's God's opinion? That's all I care. They come to a rabbi. I don't, want, I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care how scholarly you are. I don't care how many books you read. Who cares what your opinion Your opinion means absolutely nothing with all due respect. <laughs> what does Hashem say? What does the Torah say? What's the truth? That's the guiding light for a Jew. It's about egolessness. And that's why the Jew is unchanging and unyielding. And at the same time, we're constantly fresh, constantly dynamic, constantly vibrant, constantly evolving and adapting. But it's based on truth that never changes. And it's dynamic and vibrant. It's liberal and conservative at the same time. And the less ego you find, the more it's connected with Hashem, the more you'll find this flexibility. America was a great country. It was based on God. And God we trust. People said grace after the meal. People said prayers in the public schools. It's printed in the dollar bill. A society that's founded on religious freedom to ensure religious freedom. That's the whole reason why the pilgrims rebelled against England, the Church of England, to create freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. But in this twisted, progressive, twisted distortion of the whole f- intent of the founding fathers. Freedom from religion. God became a dirty word in America. You take God out of the picture, this is what you end up with. Complete chaos. Complete conflict. The political elections today, you, you have to tune out. You can't even pay attention. No one speaks anything positive. It's all about tearing down the opponent. Mud, dirt. What's my position? I don't know. All I know is what you think of the other person, how horrible the other person is. I mean, it's not even fit for human consumption. It's not even, you just have to close your ears, close your eyes. And when it comes to elections, everyone just says, throw the bums out. <laughs> That's what they did just the other week. Just throw all the bums out. So, because there's no civility, there's no, because there's no Hashem, there's no God. Everything is ruthless. Everything is ego. Everything is arrogance. We think we're going to re, re-engineer nature. We're going to re-engineer the world. We're going to re-engineer the family. This is pure arrogance. Chutzpah. One judge decides. The state of California, the overwhelming majority, says we want marriage to be the way it was for thousands of years. Comes one judge. Chutzpah. He says, no, I don't care what people say. I'm God. It's just mind-boggling. When you have such arrogance, it's just mind-boggling. So this is 
when you have liberalism run amok, progressiveness run amok, when there's no God, and there's no tr- humility, and there's no genuineness, and there's no truth. Life is not about truth. They believe there is no truth. Not, not only do they don't believe in truth, they believe in principle there's no such thing as truth. Life is meaningless. We're just a speck in the universe. We come from nowhere. We're going nowhere. We come from... So it means nothing. Just live, be happy, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good for the moment. All there is is the moment. Nothing matters. When this becomes the core value of a country, this becomes the core value. And the sign is, it all starts with the family. When there's no sanctity in the family, that's the, the atom of creation is the family. The Torah, the first thing the Torah says, God created the world and, and Adam and Chava got married. Adam, not Adam and Steve, Adam and Chava. This is the atom of creation. When you mess with the atom of creation, you try to re-engineer the atom of creation, this is what you end up with. Chaos. And you lose your soul, you lose your prosperity, you lose your influence, you lose your power, you lose everything. And everyone gets hurt in the process. The people pushing this are not helping. They're, they're snake oil salesmen. They're not, they, they're not helping anyone. The people that think they're trying to help, they're not helping. They're selling you, this is Bernie Madoff, conning you. The creator of heaven and earth looks you in the eye and telling you, this is dangerous, this is reckless, you're going to hurt yourself, you're going to self-destruct. Because there are truths. So when you have progressiveness, but it's based on truth, on Torah, then you have the best of both worlds. Then you have all the qualities of, of conservative, all the wisdom, thousands of years of wisdom. There's a reason why things have been... There's a reason. There's a good reason. And there's a lot of wisdom. On the other hand, you can't be stagnant. To change, you have to be dynamic, you have to progress, you have to, but based on genuine principles, not on quicksand. You have to have a strong foundation, and you can build on that foundation. So then you have the combination of conservative and liberal together. It's based on truth, it's based on humility, it's based on egolessness. You have civility, you have goodness. Each one learns from the other, each one complements the other, and then I need both. I need a right hand, I need a left hand, I need those who are. Who are predominantly conservative and I need those who are predominantly liberal and, but they complement each other and they borrow from each other and they adapt to each other and they, then you have a harmonious world well not what you have today what you have today is, is it's ugly it's not enjoyable you can have a good argument conservative argument and liberal it's not one is right one is wrong it's good arguments I see this point of view and I see this point of view and you have a good point, you have a good point. But at the end of the day, we're civil and we can come to a conclusion and we can learn from each other and admire each other. Hillel admired Shammah. Hillel would let Shammah speak first because he admired his depth, he admired his genuineness, admired his... Shammah admired Hillel's humility. That's a civil society. We're right and left doesn't mean they don't talk to each other. And they hate each other. And they tear each other apart. And they smear dirt on each other. This is what politics has become in the last 30 years. Dirt. 
smearing dirt, mud. This is what, this is what political consultancy is all about. Digging up mud and dirt and besmirching. And they say, well, it works. Of course it works. It's very, <laughs> of course, of course it works. Uh, you, know, you know, the, the person was running for shul president. So his opponent let out a rumor. How could you vote for him as shul president, synagogue president? His sister converted to Christianity. The guy says, how is it possible? I don't even have a sister. <laughs> he says, go tell that to the congregation. He lost the election. You know, of course dirt works, but, but, but what you end up is a toxic society. This is not a, this is not a, this is a jungle. This is not, this is not, everyone's conniving and everyone is ruthless and everyone is, is, is it's like predators. It's not human beings. These are predators. These are in a jungle, lie, killing each other, attacking each other, selling their mother down the drain for a vote. I mean, this is, this, is, this is the level and the caliber and the moral fiber of our elected officials today. It's, it's, it's a tragedy. I mean, I, I, you can't build greatness. You can't have greatness when there's such a low moral fiber and such a low moral caliber and such a low level of discourse. And so, because this is what happens when you take God out of the picture and you kick God out of the classroom and you don't have a moment of silence in the schools and there's no humility and there's no acknowledgement of a higher power. This is, this, is, this is what you end up with. You end up with a jungle. And then we wonder why we had the financial collapse and why we are, what are we at? $19 trillion in debt. Every American has how much money in debt? Hundreds of thousands that we'll, we'll never dig out of. Incomprehensible. We'll never dig out of. And, and as we speak, every hour, we're getting another hundred, few hundred million dollars in debt. So every day, every week, so which places a, a burden on every child that's born. And no matter how long you're going to work, you'll never be able to work your way out of it. Recklessness, irresponsibility. It's it's it's. No one cares. No one. It's a joke. It's a game. It's, it's just life is just one big game. So this is what happens when you don't have a Torah, when you don't have a God, when you don't have truth, and you believe that there is no truth. Ideas have consequences. You think, you think, you're gonna, you think evolution, you believe you come from a monkey, and you come from an amoeba, and you come from a bacteria. There are consequences. If you believe you come from Adam, and you're creating the image of God, and there's a God in this world, there are consequences. But if you believe that, then we're just an animal, a glorified animal. And we act like animals. So then there's no reconciliation between right and left. There's no flexibility between right and left. Hillel and Shammai were the example, you can have right and you can have left, and there's fire and water, but there's civility. And there's flexibility. And there's compromise. And there's adaptation. And sometimes reversing roles. Surprises. And kindness. And we long to have such a society. This is so because of the inclusiveness of their souls, which is compounded of the right chesed as well. And likewise, the root of Fayyid, Hillel's soul, was also compounded of the left. 
For as is known of the mode and the attributes, i.e. the manner of supernal holiness, there is no cleavage or division there, heaven forfends. Rather, all the traits that derive from supernal holiness incorporate each other. Hesed incorporates an aspect of Gevura, Gevura of Hesed, and so on. They are therefore in union with each other, as is known to those who study the Kabbalah, scholars of the hidden wisdom. Because they're rooted in holiness, they're rooted in Hashem, by Hashem there's no divisions, there's no separations, it's all unified within Hashem, within the infinite, and therefore they're absolutely unified and one. And, uh, and therefore they all compound with each other. They all, they all contain the other. And, you know, the classical analogy is like a, uh, a, f- a parent who punishes a child or disciplines a child. So discipline is an act of gavura, but it's rooted in, in love. Why are you disciplining the child? You're not disciplining a stranger. You're only disciplining your own child because you care about your child, you love your child, and therefore you're going to discipline them. So it's, that's an example of compounding. In other words, here it's love is borrowing the attribute of discipline and strength and toughness for its own sake. So it's really, it's, externally it's discipline and it's harsh and it's tough, but internally it's an act of love. So when you have that flexibility, because again, if it's all about ego, there's no, there's no flexibility. A parent who's loving, always is loving, and is never tough with their children, and never strict with their children, and never disciplined their children, which is detrimental to the child. If you truly, because it's about ego. I like being kind. It makes me uncomfortable to be tough. I don't feel comfortable being tough. But that's if it's rooted in the ego, if it's rooted in you. If it's really a little egoless, it's about my child. It's not about me. If it's really my child, if it's really genuine love, it's not about me, it's about my child. Forget about yourself for a moment. Then I have to go against my nature and I have to harm myself and hurt myself. For the parent, it's very dif- a loving parent, it's very difficult to, be, to discipline my own child. But I do it because that's good for the sake of my child. So when there's egolessness, the more egolessness there is, the more flexibility there is. I can borrow, I can compound, I can... I can act and I can pretend. Sometimes I can pretend to be angry, even though I'm not angry inside. I love my child. I'm not angry. I love my child. But I have to, I have to put on an act and be tough because it's good for my child. So you have that flexibility. You're not limited. So the more egoless, when you talk, the more egoless you are, the more connected there are, the more unification there is. So by Hashem, in Hashem, all these attributes are all one and separable. So the soul that's rooted in Hashem also has this flexibility. And where do we see this? Although although Hesed and Gevur are opposites, nonetheless, since they are also compounded of each other, they are able to work together. This it is written of Abraham, who personifies the attribute of Hesed and love. Now I know that you stand in awe of God. For he had garbed himself in the attribute of Kivorah, which was not of his essence, and bound Isaac, his son, and took the knife to slaughter his son. We thus see that Abraham, who is the very embodiment of Hesed, was able to respond as the occasion 
demanded with even this expression of severity, the very epitome of the attribute of and that's why it was the ultimate test, and it was Avram's test, and that's why we know that Avram is holy, is connected to holiness, is rooted in holiness. Because up until that point, I didn't know if Avram was rooted in holiness. Maybe he was just following his nature. But the fact that Avram was able to express himself and utilize a, a different attribute, which was contrary to his ordinary and natural trait, to, to be tough, his readiness to sacrifice, offer his child as a sacrifice, because Hashem asked it of him, this showed us that Avram was not about ego, it was about Hashem. And therefore, Hashem is infinite, and therefore there are times and a place when the way to approach Hashem is with strength. So to Hillel and Shammai, because they were rooted in godliness, so therefore, they had the ability. They, had, they contained within themselves, they contained the opposite trait as well. So Hillel had Gevura, strength, and he displayed it occasionally. And Shammai had it within him to be Hillel. Shammai had Hillel in him, and Hillel had Shammai in him. How could Hillel have Shammai in him? It goes against everything, everything he believes in. And how can Shammai have Hillel in him? Because there's something greater than me. My soul is rooted in godliness, something in truth, and something greater than all of us put together. Hashem is not limited. So the same Hashem expresses himself both in kindness and in strength. And that's why Hillel has Shammai inside of himself, and Shammai has Hillel inside of himself. And that's the sign, that's the test. That's how we know it's real. That's how we know it's genuine. And again, the more egoless a society is, the more closer it is to truth, the closer it is to a certain sense of humility, a certain sense of, of Hashem in their life, you'll see the more ability to compromise, flexibility, civility, and the more egotistical it becomes, the more rigid it becomes, you see the complete breakdown of civility, the complete breakdown of compromise. Tragically, that's what we see today. But there's no political solution. The only solution is to bring back a moment of silence to the schools, bring prayer back to the schools, bring God back to the schools, bring God back to the public, to American life, the way it was in the beginning and the founding of America. That's the only way we even stand the chance of returning back to the bedrock values, to the core eternal. America was based on eternal values. We go back to those core eternal values. It's not regressive. That's the foundation. And then you can build, progressively you can build on that foundation, on those truths that never change. You can also build dynamic, vibrant, relevant, and current, current reality. You can have progressive and conservative simultaneously, but only if it's rooted in Hashem. And we sorely miss that in this country, and we sorely need that. To be continued.
This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.